Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for the Tech Guy is provided by Cashfly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Hi, this is Leo Laporte, and this is my Tech Guy podcast. This show originally aired on the Premier Radio Networks on Sunday, April 10th, 2011. This is episode 760. Enjoy. Good day to you, Leo Laporte here, the tech guy, and it's time to talk about tech. <laughs> I'm your worst nightmare, a geek with his own radio show. This is a show. <laughs> no, no, I'm just teasing you. I, uh, I'm not a geek. I just play one on the radio. This is the show where we help people understand technology and use it better because I believe that technology is an opportunity for us all to change the world, change your lives, to democratize things. I've just been so galvanized and excited by the, the promise of technology, of digital technology, uh, over the last 20 years that I've been doing this show. And every, every, uh, every year there's a new demonstration of, of how fantastic this change is and how good for us it is. Uh, you know, most recently, the revolutions going on in the Middle East. There's a guy named Tim Wu who wrote, a, I think, a very... Uh, interesting book uh, about technologies uh, it uh, his uh, it's called uh, the um, is it called the master switch the rise and fall of information empires I think that's it the master switch and uh, his premise in the master switch is that uh, new technologies and and there have always been many many new technologies over the uh, over the years he actually opens the book talking about uh, the advent of long-distance telephone calls in the, at the turn of the last century. And what a revolution that was, the ability to call somebody and talk to them in real time overseas. Amazing. And can you imagine how that must have felt for people to be able to do it? And, and he says uh, that in his book that uh, we've seen these revolutions before. And that they, there's one characteristic feature. They always start uh, nobly and open, but inevitably uh, corporations move in and close them. And it's a cycle back and forth between open and closed, open and closed. Open meaning it's democratic and everybody has a chance to use it and develop and innovate around it. And then, just as the Internet is today, and then at some point, I guess it gets there's too much money involved or the big corporations decide to clamp down or... In order to grow, you need some cap, considerable capital investment, and that means it can no longer be the people's technology. It becomes a technology of big business. And he uses uh, telephony as an example, but there are many other examples through history. And he says, just wait. That's what's going to happen to the Internet. And I don't buy it. I really don't buy it. I think this is, a, this is you know, it, it's, it's very tempting for historians, uh, students of history at, at any time, to say, oh, yes, it's just a cycle and it's all repeating itself. And if you don't learn from history, you'll never understand what's going on. And I agree. And I was a, I love history. I have a history major in college and a Chinese history major in college. And I just love the subject and read a lot of history. But it, but sometimes history doesn't repeat itself. 
Sometimes something happens that's totally new and unique. And I think the Internet is a good example. You know, I think what's happening in the Middle East, this revolution, I don't think it could have happened before. We thought with TV, when TV became widespread, we thought, oh, the Russians, the Soviets will see TV, they'll see the good life in the capitalist society, and they'll be able to, uh, you know, transform their society because they'll understand what options are out there. In the... But what we didn't count on is the fact that television and radio are very centralized. They still are run by a small handful of people who can afford to build the transmitters and get the licenses. And what happens when a, when a dictatorship feels threatened? What do they do? They take over the radio station and the TV station. And so it turned out that television wasn't the revolution we thought it was. It was too easy to control. The Soviet Union controlled it. And they fed uh, their, uh, their people the, the information they wanted them to have. The Internet's not quite the same, is it? It's not quite so centralized, not quite so easy to control. You saw Hosni Mubarak turn off the Internet in Egypt, but he could only do so briefly, and it didn't work. Because it isn't centrally controlled. It isn't government controlled. We watched the governments of Syria, Tunisia, and Yemen, and the government of Libya try to control the flow of information, and they couldn't. And I think that's what's kind of different and exciting about this revolution, is information. It's really not an information revolution. I mean, it's partly information. It's mostly communication, isn't it? We can you We now have a very democratic, decentralized way to communicate with one another. And I think that's transforming everything. You can make a record. My son, we talked about this on the show yesterday. My son uh, tweeted me yesterday and said, hey, dude, <laughs> my 16-year-old 16, 16 son, hey, dude, I, I just put some music up on SoundCloud. Tell, you all, tell all your listeners about it. And, uh, and when I'm rich, I'll, buy, I'll make sure you get in a nice nursing home. Somebody tweeted me, I can't believe how disrespectful your son is. I said, well, you must not have a 16-year-old then. <laughs> it's kind of par for the course. I just, I laughed. But I did, in fact, retweet his uh, his uh, address and let people listen to his music. Now, because I think that's fascinating. Now, here he is. He's a 16-year-old kid. He has basically, because he has a Macintosh and uh, some software, Garage Band. Uh, eventually, I ended up getting him Logic Express. Um you know, fairly inexpensive software. He has a recording studio in his bedroom. He can make music, stuff that the Rolling Stones, the Beatles, would have killed for. In fact, had to had to sign deals with the devil, with the recording companies, to get, because it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to record a record. He's got that in his bedroom. And even better, even better, he's got global distribution for free, at the push of a button on the internet. It's it's not just in music, it's it you you can write a blog. If you want to write, you don't have to go to a publisher. If you want to make a TV show, you don't have to you don't have to get a television station, you don't have to sell it to HBO, you can make it yourself. You know, admittedly, you know, there are a few things. You you probably aren't gonna run an NBA franchise by yourself. <laughs> that might be a little more expensive than an individual can do. You're not gonna make a major motion picture by yourself, but because they're very expensive still, but there are a lot of things you can do, a lot of individual creative acts, and you have the distribution, and you don't need to go to anybody. You don't need to say, please, sir. And you can be, you can act, be a political activist. You can, you can uh, create political movements, as is happening in the Middle East right now, all with just a, an inexpensive computer and access to the Internet. And, and ultimately, it's very difficult to cut that off. Once, once people get that technology, and every country wants it, because it's how you become a, a, a developed nation. 
So you can't really cut that off unless you're willing to stay in the, you know, the dark ages. So every, even, even the most foul dictators, except for maybe in North Korea, where they really still do exert a very tight control over this, the last bastion. And it's probably, I'll, I'll, I think, the last bastion of totalitarianism. Because ultimately, this free flow of communication lets people organize, lets people stand up for themselves. It is democratizing. And Tim Wu, I know, you know, we, history repeats itself. And I know you think that it will at some point, and we're, and we're watching them try. The big companies will come in, the Comcast and Verizons and AT&Ts of the world will come in and say, well, no, 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 enough of this democracy stuff. We want to control it. YouTube just started, uh, Google just started a YouTube live thing where people live stream. But they're very controlled about who gets to participate. And I, I'm aware of this because we were not invited to participate, even though I'm probably the largest uh, 30 hours, 40 hours a week of live programming internet broadcaster in the world. Uh, they didn't invite us to participate. And I looked and I saw why. Because we'd had some, and these are disputed copyright violations. You know, we're, we do news shows and I play clips. I do this on this show too. It is illegal to do so. Play clips of other people's content as part of the news. But those people put takedown notices on YouTube. And YouTube, Google, big company, goes along with the movie industry, goes along with the television industry, says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And furthermore, like any big company says, you can't use our service if you don't pay your tribute to Hollywood and the record industry and all these others. Well, guess what? Doesn't matter. This is the beauty of it. It doesn't matter. You're going to see these big companies try to wrench down. You, the House of Representatives just told the FCC you cannot force net neutrality on Friday. Too bad. Verizon, Comcast, the big companies of the world are going to try to shut us down. This time, they can't. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Report the tech guy. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. I was on uh, on Friday. I was on the radio with uh, Ron Owens, who's a, a beloved host in San Francisco on our uh, sister station KGO up there. And uh, Ron said, "Can you can you please explain what net neutrality is in one sentence? Because nobody understands it." And uh, you know, it isn't easy, except that. Uh, I think it makes it a little easier if you don't use the words net neutrality. I think that's an unfortunate description of what we're talking about. I am for net neutrality, but that means I'm against internet discrimination. What companies like Comcast, AT&T, and Verizon would like to do is say that some kinds of internet traffic are not equal. They would like to, for instance, they say YouTube is freeloading on our network. YouTube, with all the videos people are watching, or Netflix is another good example, is freeloading on our network. Now, remember, they're the gatekeeper to you and me and these Internet sites. If you're a Comcast customer, between you and Netflix sits Comcast. 
the way the internet was designed, the way we want it to be, is free and open. That Comcast doesn't look at what's coming, what kind of traffic. A bit is a bit, and it just lets it all flow freely because we paid for internet access. We paid for a certain amount of speed, a certain amount of data, and I want it. And I want Comcast to say, well, the problem is if we let you get Netflix, then you might not buy our premium subscription to HBO, and that's going to cost us money. So here's what we'll do. We'll give Netflix a choice. And by the way, this is going on right now. This is why they didn't want this bill in Congress. This didn't want FCC regulation. This is why they did want this bill in Congress that prohibits the FCC from regulating this. What, what Comcast wants to do is say, hey, Netflix, you can get to Leo, but you've got to pay us. They want to be a gatekeeper. Or, hey, Leo, you can watch Netflix, but not as much or not as fast. Because we want you to pay for HBO. That's network discrimination. That's Comcast saying, mm, not so good on Netflix. We're not so happy about Skype. Skype's another good example. Comcast, eight. well, let's use AT&T or Verizon as an example, because they're phone companies, aren't they? They would you know, love to prevent you from using Skype, because you use them instead of their premium phone service. This happens in Canada. It happens all over the world. It hasn't happened yet in the U.S. as far as I know. Huh? They're not very, uh, op- they're kind of not very transparent about what's going on. But as far as I know, they're not saying, eh. but in Canada, it happens and they admit it. Several of the internet service providers in Canada say, yeah, after uh, you use Skype for five minutes, we're going to catch off. We don't want you to have long phone calls. They're free. You can't, we need the, you're, you're taking money out of our pocket. That's internet discrimination. I'm in the phone business. I'm not going to let you uh, use Skype, but wait a minute, I'm paying for internet access to me, Internet access, the way Internet was designed, the way it's intended, the way I expect Internet access is, I have access to the full and open and free Internet. And without that, you don't get innovation. You don't get competition. You don't get people like Skype coming along because the big guys who are already the incumbents, they're already in power, they already control it, say, no, 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 no. No innovation here. We want you to use our service. And, and government's complicit in this. The FCC, believe me, it's not that there isn't government regulation. You know, the Republicans would have you believe, oh, no, it's not that we're against Internet discrimination. We, we, or for, I guess, how confusing it is. It's not that they were against net neutrality. It's not that we're for Internet discrimination. We just don't think the government should be involved. Well, I got bad news for them. The government's already involved. If it weren't for the FCC, we wouldn't have the cable monopolies and the phone monopolies we have. I agree with Republicans. If you had 15 Internet service providers to choose from, you wouldn't need these regulations. But we don't. We have a duopoly. In some cases, a monopoly. How many different people can you get Internet service from? Really, for most of us, it's either a phone company or a cable company. Maybe satellite. There isn't that competition, so we do need these regulations because these companies were given monopolies by the federal government. So we're digging our way out of a mess. And if you want, if you, I'm telling you, if you want innovation, if you want the country to grow, if you want technology to grow, you've got to let it be open and free, and you can't let the existing big companies that have a death grip on this stuff control it. So that's why this is, I think, a it's an important discussion. I agree. I don't like the idea of the government involved, but it's too late. They were involved, and that's why we got the mess we got.
Now let's go to the phones. To Hollywood we go. Lewis is on the line. Hi, Lewis. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, Leo. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Welcome to the show. Leo, is there a shortage of bits? Is it a, not a renewable resource? Oh, what a great question. That's what these companies would tell you. Well, there's not enough bits, so we got to charge more. Or No, there's no shortage. This is a debate I have a lot. Yeah. Uh, T&T announced, I think, last month that they're instituting data caps on UVerse and DSL customers. Guess why? Think about why AT&T would care about that. Well, it's not because you're, their position is, oh, you know, 99% of you don't use 150 gigs. The rest are bandwidth hogs, and, we, and they're downloading pornography. <laughs> if, they, if they could say it, they would. They're downloading child pornography, and if you're not a child pornographer, you don't need more than 150 gigs. What the truth is... People who use that much bandwidth are watching television. They're downloading movies and TV shows legally over the Internet. They're watching a lot of Netflix. And frankly, AT&T wants that business. And why aren't Netflix and Sling and other content providers that aren't associated with a service provider speaking out louder about this? Because the quality is only going to get better. Before you know it, use 150 uh, gig in half a month. Right. They're, this is Comcast did it with uh, they, their their Comcast limit is two fifty AT and T's is now one fifty and and they're doing it preemptively because they know right now most people won't feel that pinch. It is as you say only when everybody starts watching streaming movies on Netflix, downloading movies from iTunes, getting their music over uh, systems like RDO, Rhapsody, Mog, then these companies are going to say, <gasps> and it's not that there's not enough bits. There's plenty of bits. Believe me, it's a profitable business. It's that they don't want you to eat into their other premium businesses. Television, telephony. Uh, that's, the, that's, that's where this comes down to. And, and I agree with you. There is, you know, Lewis, this is the debate, though. Well, we've got to pay for the bits. Well, once you put in the infrastructure, the bits are, are like running water. They're very inexpensive. Uh, in fact, in most cases, due to peering arrangements with other big content providers, they're actually free. Yeah, they, they've got $39 billion to spend on T-Mobile. Yeah. They had put it into infrastructure. Yeah, exactly. Oh, AT&T is a bad one. Yeah. But, all, you know, all the telcos are because they're, they're, let's face it, they're hereditary monopolies. They've had it all to themselves for so long that that's how they think. And I just, I think it's, a sh I think it's shameful that our uh, government would go along with them instead of representing us and our interests. I agree. I don't know why Netflix uh, doesn't, rattle a cage more. I think Reed Hastings, who runs Netflix, is a very subtle, sly guy. He realizes he can't be too loud. He needs these companies to go along. Well, the last thing he'd like is for them to suddenly say to him, oh, and by the way, Netflix, that'll be an extra penny a customer. So, so, but I have a feeling they're very interested. <laughs> I would be. I am. Le Thanks for the call, Lewis. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by Carbonite.com. It's backup done right. Automatic, off-site, Mac or PC, and very affordable. Try it free for the next two weeks. You don't even need a credit card. You just need my name, Leo. Carbonite. You got to back it up to get it back. Visit Carbonite.com right now. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. Scott Wilkinson, in the Home Theater Guy, joins us every week, usually at this time. Mm-hmm. How did your uh, how did your uh, rehearsal go for uh, your Passover Seder? Oh, it went very well. Uh, the model Seder, we had about two hundred people there. Uh, wow! Played a lot, played a lot of great music. Uh, ate some good chicken soup and matzo ball <laughs> soup, I should say, and uh, and had a, had a wonderful time. Uh, the real Seders start, uh, I think, next weekend. Right. Hey, right we're going we get back <laughs> right after we get back because we're going to Vegas. In fact, as soon as I'm done with the show, I'm heading to uh, Las Vegas. We're going uh, so, to Vegas, baby. <laughs> you know, it's funny. We don't go to gamble. <laughs> we no. go to learn. We're going to the NAB show, the National Association of Broadcasters. They have a big trade show there every year. Big. I mean, really big. It's it's almost as big as, uh, as say, the Consumer Electronics Show. Almost as big. I've heard numbers like 90,000. Wow. Now, you know, CES is like 150,000. So it's not as big as CES, but it's pretty big. 90,000 people is a lot of people. That's and a lot of people. The, now, we're, we're going to be covering it. We're the official streaming broadcaster of the show, and my Twit Network is, and we're going to be covering it Monday, Tuesday, and uh, Wednesday, and Thursday. And some Thursday, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, you're going to be a big part of that, too, because we're going to do our Home Theater Geeks show uh, tomorrow. Uh, yeah, it's only tomorrow, my Tomorrow, <laughs> 10 a.m. Yeah. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern from, or is it 9? Maybe Actually, 10.30. 10.30, okay. But yeah, we're going we're gonna to start off at the, the Twit stage, and um, we're going to have an hour there uh, talking with uh, some people. Uh, among them, Derek Smith from SpectraCal, a company that makes a um, uh, calibration software for end users as well as professionals. But then at 10, we're going to leave and go over to the Central Hall, where yeah. from 10.30 to 12, we're going to sort of roam the floor a little bit. And I've got several appointments set up for Panasonic, JVC, and Sony. I'm interested and, in uh, in uh, doing something a little different, because I'm going to be carrying with me my iPhone and this owly, it's kind of like a metal case for an iPhone with a, with a wide-angle uh lens built into it and i'm gonna well, that's be cool. yeah i'm gonna be bringing it uh and and uh and it's got a little microphone that comes off uh, the iphone too for better audio sound and i'm gonna be uh, bringing this around and taping uh uh visits to booths that I, we can then broadcast a little one or two minute visits to booths. it's just gonna be an interesting experiment using the iphone and the uh hmm. and the owly which is now, are you gonna be streaming live this I won't be streaming live. We do have, of course, uh, our live view uh, cameras, which allow us to stream live from the show floor. So we'll do right. that too. And we'll we have a booth uh, up there in the South Hall. But I, you know, before I before we go on and on about this, I guess I should ask the completely legitimate question: Why, Scott? Why? <laughs> <laughs> why? Why are we doing this? Because isn't this a show for broadcasters? Yes, it is a show for broadcasters and professional content creators. And many people have asked me. Why are you going? Why are you covering this? You, you deal with consumers mostly, and that's true. My answer is because consumers tend to focus on the equipment that they can buy and put in their house, like a TV or a stereo system, a surround sound system, Blu-ray player, that sort of thing. And that's all important to think about and talk about. But the other part of the equation is how does the signal get to you? How is it created? How is the content created? And how does it get to you? And how does that affect your experience? 
And so that's what I'm going to be asking. My primary question of anyone we, we talk to at the show is going to be, how is the consumer experience impacted and hopefully improved by what you're showing at the show? Do we see TVs at the show, home theater, that kind of stuff, or is it not, not, not really? Not really, no. We're going to see cameras. I mean, in terms of equipment, we're going to see a lot of stuff that we aren't really interested in, like um, studio switchers and television yeah. switchers. Now, you're interested in that. Teleprompters. You, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Cameras. I think, you uh, know, for our hardcore tech audience, and that's who who's watches the podcast during the week, that's right. interesting because there's a lot of tech in that, and, and some of that will sure. you know be part of our lives, but... But I, I think you're right. For the general public, what's interesting about NAB is, and it's kind of interesting that I'm there, that we, because, you know, our network is really in some ways the antithesis of the National Association of Broadcasters. We are well, the anti-broadcasters. We're the... Yes and no. Yes and no. I think, I've, I was thinking about this last night, that how interesting it is that what we, one of the things we will see at this show undoubtedly is a lot of what we call IPTV, streaming television which is exactly what you're doing. You're, you're creating essentially an IPTV network, the Twit network, which people can watch online on their computers or on their TVs now, uh, depending on whether or not they can point them to that particular stream. But we're going to see a lot of that at the I NAB agree. show. I agree. You know, it's, there's, and, there's and, be- and there's a reason why the National Association of Broadcasters asked us, a non-broadcast network, Mm-hmm. to be the official uh, streaming partner, because I think they are interested in how do we make, there's a lot of interest in how do we make this transition yes. from broadcast towers and expensive television stations to uh, the internet. And and right. if, if uh, you know, if, if what you care about is content, not how it's delivered, I mean, if you're in the business, if you're NBC, you might be in the business of how it's delivered, but if you care about content, uh, then you don't really care how it's delivered and you're very interested in other means to reach an audience. So, that's what I think is going to be most interesting at this particular NAB show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, another thing that we're going to see a lot of that I know you're not that interested in is 3D. Yeah, I think there'll <laughs> be. I bet you. I bet you'll be swamped with 3D cameras. Oh, I could not care less. I Tons mean, of them. I well, you know, such James a Cameron. James Cameron is going to be the uh, the keynote speaker on Monday morning. We're going to cover that. He's going to have a press conference right after, in which he talks about the the future of 3D movies in the next generation. And That's by right. the way, I think you and I talked about this last week. I don't think it has to do with 3D exactly. Well, it doesn't. It has to do it ha- does have to do with 3D ultimately, but what he's talking about is higher frame rates. Yeah. He's talking about instead of shooting movies at 24 frames per second, he's talking about shooting them at 48 or even 60. Uh which he believes will reduce the amount of what uh, what I've called 3D sickness, you know, headaches and dizziness and so on that some people feel when they go to a 3d presentation here's my prediction yes here's my prediction so in order to do 3d tv or 3d movies they do have to improve these technologies they're going to improve the frame rate they're already doing 4k screens high double resolution in width and height in order to uh, help the 3d i predict that these new advances 4k higher frame rates will survive 3d will kind of slough off as people realize it's a stupid gimmick and we'll be getting these incredibly vivid realistic 2d pictures and we'll go oh this is great and then this the, is great and the 3d people said yeah that's that's what we meant all along that's, <laughs> that's what we was we was planning this all along because because i think 3d is ultimately a gimmick however if you get a good high res screen 
with a very high refresh rate. It looks so real. Your brain will make it 3D. And your brain does a better job than those silly shutter glasses. do. (laughs) You know, my poll question this week on ultimateavmag.com is, is 3D here to stay? (laughs) And what are people saying? uh, Well, the majority, I have to say that the highest percentage answer is no. It's going to disappear just Mm. like it has many times in the past. Interesting. Although it's followed closely. It's not that much of a, of a majority. The second um, one is, yes, it will survive in commercial theaters, but not in the home. You don't think so? No. But I tell you what, if you have an opinion, go to ultimateavmag.com and take uh, Scott Wilkinson's poll. He's editor-in-chief there. It's a great place to go if you're interested in home theater and want to read reviews of some of the greatest stuff. He also is a columnist at Home Theater Mag. Dot com and joins us every week. If you have a question for Scott, you can also email him. That's right. My <laughs> my email address is uh, scott at techguylabs.com. That's why the pregnant pause. I couldn't remember. Okay. <laughs> scott at techguylabs.com. Scott Wilkinson, always a pleasure. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow in tomorrow. Las Vegas. You bet. And, and uh, of course, there's another reason we're going. Tax-deductible trip to Vegas, baby. <laughs> See you there. Leo LaPorte, See you there. the tech guy. Leo Laporte, the tech guy, 8888-ASK-LEO. That's the number if you've got a question, a comment, a suggestion. If you want to yell at me for saying 3D's nothing. I'd be very curious. I'd love if you bought a 3D TV and you're loving it, call me. Let's talk about it. Maybe I'm wrong about this thing. I do know that a lot of people, and I've talked to many people who think like Avatar and the theater 3D, Scott thought so, was amazing. Uh, I was I was less than amazed. <laughs> I kind of like 2D. And I just think that if a very, if you have a very, very good quality picture, look out your window. I'll give you an example. Look out your window. The glass is clean. Does that look like a flat, you know, if you're looking out at your, your yard, does that look flat to you? Does it look like a 2D scene out your window? Or does it feel like a 3D scene? Your brain knows exactly what it's seeing. And we can trick the brain, not by wearing funny glasses and doing dual images on the screen, but by giving it the most realistic image possible. If you can get a movie to look as real as looking out your window, look at the person sitting across from you. Do they look 2D or 3D? If, they, if you could get a picture on your television to look that good, who needs glasses? People keep saying, when are we going to get glasses-free 3D? Can I tell you something? Never. It's way too difficult to do, way too expensive to do, because any 3D technology requires each eye to see something separate. So the only way to do that without glasses... Well, there's there's a way you can do it now. It's called lenticular 3D, and it's just like the, remember Mad Magazine when you'd get it and you, Alfred E. Newman and you tilt it and he'd look one way and then you tilt it and he'd look the other way. That's lenticular. What it essentially uses is a lens to give you one image if you're to the left and one image if you're to the right. The problem with lenticular 3D is you have to stay in exact. You can't tilt your head. You can't move your head. You cannot move. 
Oh, that's good. That'll work. That'll work. That's what the Nintendo 3DS uses. And that's fine because it's a little handheld device and you hold it. But, you know, the 3D effect comes and goes if you move the device or move your head. So that's not the solution. It's not realistic. Glasses-free 3D would require, as best I can figure it out, some way of aiming the image into your eyeball. The TV would have to have face recognition built into it, would have to know where your eyes are, and would have to have lenses that aim at that eye as you move your head. Now, of course, that's doable. We could build it today if you had a million bucks. Very complex, very tricky, and yeah, maybe in you know, 10, 20 years we'll have such a thing, but I don't think that's, that's really the smart place for uh, the movie industry, for the television industry to invest their money. Just give us a better quality picture. The better the quality, the more you'll use the brain's natural ability to turn a 2D image into 3D. Why fight the brain? Why not use the brain? Why not make it real vivid? Then it says 3D is real life. Is real life 3D to you? Good news. <laughs> if, if your real life is 2D, I don't think anything can help you. We'll get back to the phone. By the way, the 3DS, I don't know how well it's selling. They said they sold 110,000 uh, units, something like that, in Japan. That's not huge. It's pretty expensive. It's, you know, I mean, let's face it. Who buys a Nintendo 3D uh, or a Nintendo DS? It's, it's, it's the kids. Although I, I do have to say that all the high school a lot of the high school kids use the 3DS for, or the 3D for chat, or the, sorry, the DS for chatting. It's very popular. So I guess there is, a, there is a market of some kind. I guess you don't need 3D for chat, though. Hey, uh, before we get to our next call, and we do have a call on the line right now from Chip in New Jersey who says, why can't I get on the Internet on a boat? I'm on a boat! I'll explain. You can get the Internet on a boat. It just may not be the Internet you're used to. Before we do that, though, let me talk about protecting yourself online with Nod32 from ESET. ESET, E-S-E-T dot com. They make the best antivirus products out there. For Windows, it's called Nod32. For Mac, it's called ESET's Cybersecurity for the Mac. Both have the same powerful heuristics engine that catches virus-like behavior. It's watching all the time and makes sure that you don't do something dumb and that once, if you do, once you do, that bad guy doesn't get full access to your system. It's amazing. It works like a champ. Of course, it has the fastest scanner out there. It's light. It doesn't bog your system down, Mac or PC. These guys know what they're doing. If you're on a Mac, try it free for 30 days. www.eset.com slash Mac. eset.com slash Mac. If you're on Windows, eset.com slash Leo. Or, either way, call 866-935-ESET. Do say uh, you heard it on the show. ESET stands for, I don't know what it stands for, ESET. That's the name of the company. They make the best. I mean, I'm telling you, this is the best. 866-935-ESET. If you use Windows or Mac, you need ESET. Non-32. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Chip, New Jersey, you're next. Hi, Chip. Hello, Chip. Oh, why can't I? He, he went off on that cruise. Come back to the phone. <laughs> hey, Leo. Hi, Chip. How are you? Oh. Are you pl- are you planning a cruise in the near future? Uh, no, no, I wasn't. But I I was on a cruise back in two thousand and one. Oh yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, I'm a long big time fan. Ago. I love I love cruising. I love boats. I love the ocean. 
Uh, but what I don't like is I get getting disconnected from the world. Actually, it's probably a good thing, but I, I still don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if they do it purposely or... Uh... <laughs> no, they don't. So you're out in the middle of the ocean. What do you want? You know, you don't get cell signals because there's no cell tower nearby. You can get internet. Most boats now have internet. They use a satellite dish in Marsat or the like to get internet. Usually the entire ship, now there may be as many as 1,000, 2,000 people on that cruise ship, the entire ship gets one and a half megabits of internet bandwidth down. So you're, you know, at home, you're probably getting 20 megabits on your, on your, on your cable modem, six megabits on your DSL. So it's not for, that's for you. So the whole ship shares a one and a half megabits. It's not very much. Um, it's also very expensive because satellite internet's very expensive and uh, it's even slower sending it back up to the satellite. So in all in all, they have it, but it's limited. If you go to most modern cruise ships, they'll have an internet cafe. You can go there and you can use their computers. If you bring your laptop, you can buy time, you buy minutes. What I use, I mean, I do do it. In fact, the last cruise I took, uh, I went to South America in February. I bought a thousand minutes. I think it cost two hundred bucks. It was ridiculous. Wow, <laughs> it was absurd. Uh, but I, but it was a business expense for me because I needed to stay in touch with the office. I couldn't use Skype. It's too slow for that. But you can send and receive email. In fact, you don't even really want to send and receive email with attachments. I had to tell my office, send me email. It's text only. Please don't send attachments. I can't get them. They're too big. Don't expect me to uh, check in with you more than once a day because I only have a, you know, a few minutes. Uh, so it really does, uh, I have to say, it really uh, isn't. Think of a cruise as your chance to disconnect. Let your crops in Farmville go fallow. It's okay. You can come back later and and clean up the mess. Tony, California, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, are you there? Hey, Tony. Hi, how are you? I'm fantastic. Welcome to the show. What can I do for you today? I got a weird question for you. Um, I'm a wildlife biologist, and I'm um, doing research on crocodiles. And um, what we're doing is we're going to be tagging um, crocodiles with um, with satellite tags and data loggers so we can tell where they're moving, so we can tell the ecology of them. But um, I'm, a, I'm a tech guy, and I look at these devices, and they're just primitive. And um, I was hoping uh, to see if you had any information on maybe um, something that could vamp this up, maybe make it more revolutionary, maybe make um, a streaming video or maybe even incorporate some type of wouldn't that be cool? You could watch the croc as it swims through the swamp. That would well, be so be cool. Something out there besides something that just puts a dot on a map every ten hours. Um, it's really frustrating. Yeah, I don't blame you. Well, I mean, I'll tell you what the issues are. Of course, it's got to be durable because the croc's going to go underwater. It's got to be, you know, uh, you know, it's going to stay out there a while. It's battery life is your real issue. How long do you expect to be able to get a signal back if it's well, any more than thing. a day? Yeah, well, I was wondering, yes, maybe satellite, but that's, that's the, the basic thing is we need a, a signal for a while, and we're not going to be able to catch right. the croc every six months. So so think about so, it. I mean, all all it's doing, uh, the current crop of products is doing is just uh, every, you know, it's probably not even doing it very often, maybe every half hour or an hour or a day. It's sending, a, you know, it's sending a boop saying, here I am. Uh, now, that way you can go for weeks or months and and, and track the thing. But if you wanted to watch it, it would have to send considerable amount of data. It would have to have a camera. Uh, 
you're not going to get more in a few days at best. You look at your cell phone. It's, it's going to be murder. So unless you're willing to go out and tag the crock every Wednesday, I think, I think I'm afraid you're going to have to live with it. But you know, maybe the chat room has an idea. Let's, let's find out. We'll take a break and come back with more. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Leo, that's my phone number. If you want to talk tech, I'd love to talk tech with you. uh, 8888-ASK-LEO is 888-827-5536. But, you know, the easiest thing to remember, I should always just tell you this. The phone number, all of the information you need, chat room, live video, the stations that we're on, it's all on our website, techguylabs.com. That's really all you have to remember. Techguylabs, all one word. Dot com. We uh, want to say hello to some new affiliates on the show. We're up to 140 radio stations now, including KFNA FM in Abilene, Sweetwater, Texas, WCTC AM in uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey, WRTR in, uh, I think it's Tuscaloosa, Alabama, WSOM in Youngstown, Ohio. Great to have you both. 143 affiliates, including XM Channel 158. Talking tech with all of you. So I'd love to hear from you. You know, because of the podcast, we do a podcast of this show as well, uh, which people download. And I think we're, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people listen every week, something like 100,000. Uh, we get people, those people are sometimes in uh, all over the world. We had a call yesterday from Israel. So if you are outside the U.S., it's, it's that toll-free number only works in the U.S., but you can still call us by using Skype out to that toll-free number. Eight 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 two seven five five three six, and I do apologize. You know, of course, because it's a a, a U.S. radio show, and and radio uh, and television, traditional broadcast media are at best national. It's very rare to have international broadcasts. I guess CNN does it, but even CNN they have their their U.S. version and their international version, don't they? So I I have to say I apologize for sometimes being a little U.S. centric. I talked last hour about Netflix, for instance. Well. Every time I talk about Netflix, I get calls and emails from people who say, well, we can't get it outside the U.S. Don't talk about it. We're making us jealous. Yeah, you know, this is, uh, it's funny because the Internet is global. It's international. Absolutely. And that's the power of it. It is an international communications medium. But unfortunately, because we're still in the world where uh, old national boundaries still apply, especially when it comes to copyright and content those are the things that you see limitations on bbc has an amazing thing called the iplayer that'll let you watch any bbc show uh, on it but it's only in the uk i'd love to watch stephen fry's uh, qi show oh i'd love to watch that can't because it's because when you use the iplayer it says well wait a minute i'm sorry you're in the united states there's a music application called spotify 
people like it so much in in Europe and or I shouldn't say Europe because some countries you can't get it. Again, it's not you know you got to get the record label in each country. You can't just say, oh, let's make a deal for the world. No, each country one by one. There's people in the U.S. who want Spotify so badly they go to the trouble of getting a um, a, a VPN access to a European server. It's called a proxy server that makes them look like they're in Europe so they can listen to music. Of course, it goes both ways. There's there's stuff like Netflix that you, you know, uh, audible.com uh, that don't, you can't get. And all of this has to do with, let's face it, books, movies, TV, and music. The old, old school content. And the fact that old school content is still desperately tied to national boundaries. It's unfortunate because, of course, they could do so much better. They could make so much money. They could, uh, they could, their artists could be heard everywhere. And this is where sometimes recording artists get a little frustrated. Writers get a little frustrated. I know there are a number of recording artists. There's a, a great group called OK Go that was with that was a they had you know they had they reached the holy grail that musicians all want to get a label deal right or at least used to. Oh, we got a record deal. We're signed. Well, okay, go was signed. They were with EMI, one of the biggest record companies in the world, the Beatles record company, EMI, and they quit because they were making these amazing YouTube videos. Unbelievable. If you've not seen them, go to YouTube and search for okay, go. Unbelievable videos. And EMI said, well, that's, that's nice, lads. <laughs> we're glad you're spending your own money to make those. Uh, but... We are going to, because we own the rights to this music, prevent you from allowing people to look at it anywhere but YouTube. You can't, it's something called embedding. You've probably seen this. If you really like a video, you know, and you have a blog, you can just embed it on your blog. That means more people get to see it, right? Whoa, no, no, no. EMI says, we don't want more people to see it. <laughs> we want more people to pay for it or something. I don't know. And OKGO okay said, you know, this isn't working for us. We make these videos so people can see them. We feel it has great promotional value to us. We're going to fire our record company so that we can use the Internet properly. And I think that's what's going to end up happening. People who make the content realize it's in their interest to get the content into as many hands as possible, even for free. Because ultimately, when you create fans, that's how you make a living. You create fans, those fans will pay. Many groups now, Oasis, Radiohead, and others, have put albums online for free and say to their fans, if you like it, pay us what you think it's worth. And they're doing very well indeed. They have a new way of doing it. This is the modern way of doing it. And unfortunately, these old publishers and record labels and movie companies and TV companies, they're just mired in the old-fashioned way of doing things. But times they are changing. And I think it's good for artists, and it's good for us as listeners. Ah, let's see. Jim is in Manchester, New Hampshire. Hey, Jim, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Welcome to the show, Jim. Hi, Leo. What can I do for you? Hey. Hi, Leo. How you doing? I'm great. How are you? Wonderful. I am a, uh, as everybody always says, I'm a big fan back from the tech TV, uh, TV days. Thank and you. It's, I appreciate uh, pleasure. that. Pleasure. Pleasure to be able to speak with you. And I want to say one quick thing before I launch into my question. Um, my wife and I are going to be in Las Vegas on uh, vacation here in August, and we're going to make a special trip all the way up to uh, Petaluma to uh, say hi to you in, uh, in your new studios. 
Yeah, if your timing is good because, you know, we're right now the Tech Guy Labs in a little cottage. We call it the Twit Cottage because I do the Twit shows here. But uh, we will be, we're building a new studio down the street. It's two blocks away and we will be in there, I'm sure by, I hope, I'm crossing my fingers, I hope by August. If, if you come up here, Jim, and, you're, and we're still in the cottage, you could pat me on the back. <laughs> Bring me a bottle of wine because I'll need it. No problem. Sounds good. Hey, my, um, my question is, um, I want to wirelessly stream uh, some TV shows from my living room into the kids' room. I want to get them out of the living room. Instead of the big TV going and the AV receiver going, I bought a small TV for their room. And um, right now I have an Apple TV in there so we, they can watch movies on Netflix, but I'd like them to be able to watch like their Disney shows and whatnot. Um, is there a, a way to do that? Yeah, of course. You see, there? here's a perfect example of you see how easy it is to transport digital content around. But the broadcast right. content that comes in on your cable or your dish or or through the airways, eh, it's a little more tricky. There are ways to do it. You could get a sling box, for instance, uh, and put it on the Internet, and then they could be watching on an iPad. You wouldn't even have to get them a TV. You could give them an iPad, and they could watch the sling box that way. Um, there are uh, devices that will do it wires, wirelessly over Wi-Fi. Uh, and they're, you know, they're even for a long time, a Wavecom made these little RF transmitters. They're little radio transmitters you'd put on the TV and you'd put it in the other room, uh, and and you'd broadcast with radio frequencies. And I think the Wavecom Junior is still out there. But I, my my favorite way to do it would probably be with a slingbox. If you got a slingbox on your main TV setup, including your cable box and everything else, not only could the kids watch it in the other room uh, on a, on any computer or laptop or or an iPad, but you could watch it on the road too. It would you know puts it on the internet. Yeah, the thing is, I already have a small 19-inch TV in their room. Ah, so that's what you want it on. Yeah. I, I would get an RF, I think you want an RF transmitter. And a Wavecom Junior, W-A-V-E-C-O, I think it's, and I can't remember if it's double M or single M, but if you Google Wavecom, it's exactly what you want. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Port, the tech guy. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. We're talking about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, the sad state of copyright <laughs> and net neutrality. Anything that's on your mind. I'd love to hear from you. Get this one. In France, the French government has outlawed hashed passwords. Let me explain what this is. So uh, normally when you uh, sign into a website, uh, your personal details, including your passwords, are modified. They're hashed in such a way so that if somebody gets these uh, the file, let's say get, they got the database, they, they couldn't use it. They'd have to know how to reverse the hash. Basically, it's scrambled. It's encrypted. 
Well, the French government doesn't like that too much. Because why? Well, because they can't get that data. So there's a new law in France that says e-commerce sites, video and music services, and web email providers have to keep all the data on their customers, including users' full names, postal addresses, street addresses, telephone numbers, and passwords. They may not be encrypted. They must be in clear, plain text and must be handed over to the authorities if demanded. Google, eBay, and others want to fight this. In fact, there's some talk that maybe they'd even leave France rather than accede to this. The French government says, we want to be able to read this information and we want access to it anytime, anywhere. Police, the fraud office, customs, tax, and social security bodies all will have right of access Even the passwords. Now, that's what really is concerning, I think, these big Internet companies like Google and eBay. It's one thing uh, for, and this is, in this country this happens, if, uh, if uh, you get a search warrant, a subpoena from a court, you can go to Twitter or Yahoo or Google and say, who's that? I have, I have this information. Who is that? And they can give you uh, identifying information. They have to, by law. But what they don't have to give you and currently don't give you is the password. What if law enforcement could go to your email provider, your internet service provider, and say, I just want to get Leo's password, please. Can I just have the access to his email for the rest of his life until he changes it? And of course, if I change it, they'd just go back and say, eh, what's a new one? That's more than a search warrant. That's access to your email forever. What do you think? Should that be allowed? It's France today, but there are many members of Congress who would like to have exactly the same laws in the United States. That should scare us. That should scare you a little bit. Canada, same thing. And, of course, they couch it in uh, ways that nobody would say it's bad. Oh, this is to fight spam. Their favorite stalking horse is uh, child porn because nobody's going to say, oh, I'm, uh, you know, oh, no. I'm for child porn. Nobody wants to be even, you know, go anywhere near that. So they say, well, we've got to fight child porn and, uh, and uh, abductions. So we need everybody's password, please. How long before they uh, say, in fact, we just want your Internet service provider just to give us the passwords for everybody, just in case. Just in case. Mm -mm. It's the law in France. They're trying to get it to pass in the United States. And I think it's, uh, watch carefully, because it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time before they go forward here. Madison, Connecticut, Chris on the line, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Leo, how are you? I'm great, how are you? Not too bad. So I'm sitting here watching you on my new MacBook Pro. Yay, how do you like, you just got the new one? Yeah, this is my first Mac, <sighs> I love it. It's sweet, that one is a very fast, nice, uh, they really updated that, yep. So I just recently picked up a license for uh, Office 2011 through their home use program. So I only paid 10 bucks for it. And um, I'm trying to set up Outlook to sync with my Google account. 
And I was wondering anyway if I can do that with specifically the calendars. Um, if the calendars in Outlook will sync with uh, Google so that way I can use it on my Android phone also. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Google has a thing called Google Calendar Sync uh, that will work with Outlook. Uh, it's a free program. I'll have to download or? Yeah, it's a program. Okay. Uh, and what it'll do is it'll run on your computer and uh, you can set it up to sync two ways or one way, which you might want to do. You can have it automatically update the Google Calendar without modifying the Outlook Calendar. Sometimes people want to do that to avoid uh, duplicates and so forth. Or you can have two-way, in which case any changes to Google will change Outlook and vice versa. Uh, you do, you know, it's it's exactly what you want. It's and Google offers it for free. I personally, my personal uh, inclination is to just use the Google Calendar instead of the Outlook Calendar. But I know a lot of people need it to be in Outlook for a variety of reasons. Uh, you could just decide. I mean, you could have one way syncing. You could use Google Calendar. Uh, the reason I use Google Calendar is because then it's in my phone. Then anywhere I go, I log on to my Google account. There's that calendar. I can share it. I can publish it. It's very flexible as opposed to a desktop-based calendar that is really yours and yours alone. Um, so that would be a good reason to, for instance, have one-way syncing uh, so that your Outlook calendar is kept up to date, but all the changes are made on Google. But it's up to you. This, this uh, program works quite well. Perfect. Thank you for answering my question. I'm going to go You're down. You're welcome. Yeah, it's good. Just Google it. <laughs> Google has it. And uh, I think uh, the Mac version, uh, I just somebody just sent me a... Um, an article from MacRumors.com that says Office for Mac 2011 Service Pack 1 is coming out next week, and it will have built-in. Uh, it's about time because, you know, they moved Mac users over from Entourage in the newest version of Microsoft Office, but it was a little behind in terms of its ability to, you know, operate, interoperate with other calendar systems. Um, so Service Pack 1 will uh, enable calendar syncing between Outlook for Mac and Apple's sync services. So you can now use Mobile Me. And, and it will work with your iPhone and your iPad. There's a reason I think a lot of people didn't move to Outlook on the Mac. Because they just it wouldn't work with your iPhone. Lena in Hemet, California. Hi, Lena. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hello, Leo. Thank you for taking my call. Thank you. I personally have DSL Extreme and love it. And Yay. March, March 1st, we signed my dad up for it. Because on March 2nd, we bought him the latest Macintosh. Uh, OS X 10.6.4 version. Great. And I spent countless hours through the month, month of March with numerous technicians with DSL Extreme trying to get us hooked up. They sent out a second modem, of which ended up being fine. I'm trying to make a long story short. And we had the phone company out twice because they thought the phone lines were bad. Phone lines are fine. And at the end of the month, I finally said... I gave, I gave him one last chance. I said, you guys have not gotten us connected. I said, I think we're going to have to cancel. Oh, and no. Hang on the line. I want to take a break and come back. Maybe I can help you. Maybe I can help you. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.
This portion of the Tech Guy Show is brought to you by my internet service provider, and Lena's too. DSL Extreme, call 866 the number two get net to get DSL Extreme. Lena's on the line from Hemet. She's had a great experience with DSL Extreme. Her dad, not so much. In fact, you can't even get it working there. Can't get it working. Nope. Oh, how frustrating oh, that must be. I know. It, it Let me really explain was. a little bit about where some of the difficulty lies. Remember that your the people who own the copper into your house is your local phone company, uh-huh. not okay. DSL Extreme. Uh, right. Plus, there's internal wiring in the house, and uh, who knows <laughs> who's been mucking around with that? Is it an older home? Actually, it is, but we did have the phone company out twice, and they did 10 different tests. Well, but uh, okay, let me finish now. Let me finish now. So the phone company owns that copper externally. You're responsible for the copper internally. DSL Extreme and any independent Internet service provider rides on top of that. And believe me, the phone company doesn't like that at all. They are required by the FCC to allow third-party Internet service providers to use their gear. It's interesting because the FCC do, did force the phone companies to do that. Time and time again, people have asked them to do that with your cable. You notice that your cable Internet access can only come from your cable company. That's because the FCC has blocked any independent service provider from using the cable. For some reason, they think the cable needs to be protected, but the phone company doesn't. I don't. I think that's because the cable's newer uh, and the phone company's been in there for a long time. Nevertheless, it's tough for an independent Internet service provider. They sit on top of your cable or your uh, phone line, and some phone companies are more cooperative than others. They buy access, and sometimes sometimes people say, well, wait a minute, it's more expensive than you say. That's because your phone company's charging you more, charging DSL Extreme more. So you got, and you've already noticed this, you can't call DSL Extreme for the copper problem. So you had the phone company come out, and they said it's fine, but what does that mean? I don't know. They may not have solved it. Actually, the modem, the DSL light is on. All the lights are on except the Internet light. And the problem that it seemed to have been, and maybe I'm, I am, maybe I'm wrong at this, but this is at the very last phone call that I, when I decided in my mind I was given one last chance, and yeah, and by the way, I love DSL Extreme. They're a great internet service provider. You're loving them, but absolutely, you shouldn't. They're not so good that you, <laughs> no one's so good that you should waste a lot of time if it doesn't work. Right, right. And I'm so, you know, my dad's frustrated, wants to use his brand new computer. Yeah, I don't blame him. The last conversation I had with one of the technicians, when he said to me, um, do this and then do this, I said, I don't have that option on my computer. The window that I'm looking at, the network window that you've had me pull up, I said, I don't have that particular wording in front of me. I said, can I make sure that you are reading from the right, correct version? I said, remember. He's probably not. He's probably using an old notebook. You know, one of the sad things, and this has happened universally, DSL Extreme used to have local service guys, uh, and they outsourced uh, their service to, I I think, India uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And And I'm sure the quality's gone down. The local guys were real people who knew this stuff. This Now it's people who are in a call center with a notebook. You know, they have a loose-leaf binder, and if it says this, they say that. And that was the last conversation, and he said, you know what, I don't have that version. I'm sorry, I only go up to 10.5. So they canceled. Okay, so I canceled, and they told me to send in, a, in an email. I did, or excuse me, a fax. But, however, three days ago, my dad got a phone call saying, your modems are fine. Please call us. Well, we knew the modems were fine. 
I, I did it one more time again. I said, okay. I said, I'm going to give you guys again one last chance. And then say, I t explained the whole past month, and he said, you know what? He said, your computer is too sophisticated for us. He said, we Oh, don't that's a lie. They're idiots. Ah, that just kills me. I know me. it. I know I it. use DSL Extreme right now. I'm using DSL Extreme right in front of me on, on uh, Snow Leopard. So that's a lie. Yeah. That's that's just ridiculous. And boy, uh, if we, if you will send me an email, Lena, I, I, uh, I, Leo at com, I will or at TechGuyLabs.com, I will make sure that you get direct high level support from DSL Extreme in California. That's I'm sure that's just as frustrating to my friends at DSL Extreme to hear somebody say that as it is to you. Oh, it was. Um, DSL Extreme does work with Snow Leopard. I'm using it right now, right now with Snow Leopard. It's not a problem. Um, but there are, but you know, look at getting internet service working can be tricky. Uh, and it, do do you have? Does your dad have a router? Uh, no, a wireless router. Any router, wired or wireless. No, we just have the network. Okay. computer and the mobile. problem number one. No one, no one should get on the internet directly. No one, even if you're not sharing. You probably at home have a router because you share your internet, I bet. You no, have, you know, okay, everybody, okay, step one, Lena. Okay. Go out, they're, they're cheap. Go out and get a Linksys router. You can get a wired one or wireless, it doesn't matter. If you want wireless, it's nice. But the route, the reason you don't want to sit directly on the internet, now some, I have to say some modems have routers in them. But uh, but I don't think anybody should ever if your if your modem doesn't have a router in it, and to my knowledge, DSL screen modems do not. You should absolutely have a cheap router between you and the internet because attacks that come in on the internet don't go to your computer; they go to the router, which is dumb and says, "I don't know." It's actually a firewall. It's a very very effective firewall. Okay. And by the way, I bet it solves the whole problem. Really. Yeah, because you configure the router to work with DSL Extreme, and then your Mac is just getting on the router as a network. It doesn't have to have any special settings at all. Okay, well now, but remember too, the information though they were they were still. Well, I guess I'll just have to try it. But the information. Send me an email, and I'll help you. You want to get a Linksys router? If you have a router, and I say that because they're cheap, but there's you know Netgear. I like D-Link the best, but. Just get a cheap wired router. It sits between the modem and his computer. You will not enter any DSL Extreme information into the computer. None. It will all go in the router. So it doesn't matter if you're using Windows, Mac. It doesn't matter. Okay. The router is your interface to the modem. Okay. What was your email again? Leo at techguylabs.com. My my sister Eva screens all the email, and she very she's very good about getting uh, the, those emails to the right people. We will make sure that you get handled, and uh, and you now it may be that there are other reasons DSL Extreme is not working there. You might be too far from the central office, the internal wiring might be bad, and so forth. But the first thing to do, and what I would say, Lena, is get a router that you're going to use. Don't get don't get it for Dad yet. Get it for yourself, but try it with Dad. See if it fixes his problem. If it does, you should get one too. Okay, Leo. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We'll make sure you get you get uh, the best service from DSL Extreme. I promise. We'll we'll handle this. The, it, but it is a very important lesson. I think everybody should hear this lesson. Don't you know? It, you, if you if you only have one computer on your internet 
access, you might say to yourself, well, I don't need a router. A router is about having more than one computer on the same connection. True. But a router has a very important secondary benefit. It protects you. It is a firewall between you and the outside world. So when attacks come from the Internet, and they come all the time, my friend Steve Gibson, security guru, calls it Internet background radiation. It's going on all the time. It hits the router instead of your computer. Now, your computer's a little too smart. It might do something. It might say, oh, yes, come on in. I see you are knocking at my door. The router goes, huh, oh, uh. <laughs> It just ignores it. And so a router is a much, much better way to connect the Internet. Even if you don't need to share the Internet access, you should have a router. They're cheap, and they really, really... And also, for DSL especially, you configure the router, so it doesn't matter what... The, you don't have to... You, anybody can come into your house, plug in their computer, it'll work. You don't have to do any special messing with a computer. You know, in the old days, I used to hate this. DSL companies would actually make you install their software. Please, if you're in that... If they give you a disk, don't... Stop. Don't install their software on your computer. Just get a router. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. More calls to come. Stay here. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask. I hate to interrupt uh, Bono when he's singing. Love this song. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo. That's the number. Should have played that on St. Patrick's Day. If you have a question, a comment, a suggestion. Adam in Putnam Valley, New York. Well, that sounds like a pretty place. Hi, Adam. Are you in the Hudson River? Where is Putnam Valley? I'm right next to the Hudson River, Leo. Oh, I'm jealous. My daughter's uh, up there at uh, at Bard, and she's just so beautiful up there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. I'm Tom Kohler, and in fact, I was uh, living very close to Ayaz. I met Ayaz on the train just before I left for California. Ayaz, for those who don't know, we just hired Ayaz Akhtar uh, from PC Magazine. He's uh, our newest reporter on my Twit network. We're building a little news division there. We've got three people now. Tom Merritt, uh, from who came to us from CNET's Buzz Out Loud. Ayaz Akhtar from uh, PC Magazine. My old friend Sarah Lane uh, covering the news now. So we got a news division. <laughs> I told him he is very first uh, fanboy. I love Ayaz. You know, it's great. The the funny thing about Ayaz was um, he's very aggressive. And uh, we talked to him and he was like, okay, when are you going to hire me? When are you going to hire me, huh? <laughs> and I thought, that's what I'm looking for in a, in a reporter. Not everybody, but in a reporter. You want a reporter who pushes, don't you? You want one who doesn't take the easy way out but says, no, what does that really mean? And I think Ayaz is going to be a fantastic uh, addition to our, our netcast network. So uh, what what can I do for you, Adam? Yes, definitely. I have a, hopefully, if you have time, a couple of questions. Um, number one, I want to change. I want to, um, I'm on Verizon right now, Cell uh, Mobile, and I want to change, and there's a new company that's here now. I don't know how, it's, if it's new, period. It's called Credo Mobile, C-R-E-D-O Mobile. Um, they've been hitting me with flyers, and it looks interesting. 
They're even willing to buy out my um, uh, uh, the $200 sign-out fee um, to switch over to them. Now, I wow. never heard of this company before, wow. um, and I know nothing about it. Is it legit? Uh, yeah, it's what we call an MVNO. I'm trying to find out what uh, service they use. Uh, in other words, they don't own their own infrastructure. They don't own their own cell towers. They buy cell access from Sprint or AT&T and Verizon. Uh, looks like they're using Sprint. So essentially, they'll have the same coverage footprint, the same speeds, the same functionality as Sprint. This was a, I used to, I used to have a credit card with this company. They used to be working assets. People might remember that name. Um, they were, the idea was they would invest in uh, kind of uh, conscientious companies that would take care of the environment, things like that. So you'd be investing your money uh, in a positive way. And one of the things they did is they created a um, long distance company. I used to use them for long distance. And they changed their name to Credo a couple of years ago, and they have now a mobile company. But it's an MVNO. They're not, you know, Disney has an MVNO. The idea being, uh, you know, we don't really have to operate the infrastructure. We just resell. It stands for Mobile Virtual Network Operator. Now, I don't have any experience with Credo as a mobile operator, but I think essentially you'd get the same results you'd get from Sprint. Does Sprint work well in your area? I don't think so. I'm I'm not a Sprint user. Like I said, I'm Verizon. So I'm So that would be the deal is 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 you're not going to be able to ask around and say, well, "What do you think of Credo?" But if you can ask around and say, "What do you think of Sprint?" It's not that you won't get Sprint customer service, mm-hmm. which is probably a good thing, but you will get essentially the Sprint carriage. Okay. Virgin Mobile, by the way, also uses Sprint. A lot of companies use Sprint as um as a carrier reselling Sprint uh, access. So I don't know how Sprint works up there. I know Verizon's very good in the, in your area. Yeah. I don't think you're going to get better than Verizon in uh, New York. All right. All Verizon's right. the old it's the old 9X. So <laughs> Verizon is New York Telephone. So it's going to be the best. It's funny Sprint comes out of Kansas City. It's Southern Pacific Railroad. So the best coverage is on the railroad rights of way. Uh Verizon comes from New York. Of course they've acquired carriers all over the country, but they have very good coverage in uh, New York State. Um, AT&T acquired regional carriers all over. In uh, California, they acquired Southwest Bell. Uh, they, you know, So they're actually uh, SBC. Uh, actually, they acquired, uh, who did they acquire? PacBell here. They were Southwest Bell and is the original company. So it's, it's very confusing. All these, it's all a mess. It's all a mishmash. But that's the deal with Creta. Okay. Um, other thing, I want to substitute. I want to, quit, I want to cut my cable. Um, and I have um, uh, Optimum. Uh, is is um, Netflix and Roku Box a, a nice uh, substitute for that? I think so. What you won't get is local news. You won't get sports. Well, you will, actually. They, if, believe it or not, Roku, for an additional fee, has Major League Baseball and NBA games, uh, but not all sports. If you want to watch the Academy Awards live, I don't know how you're going to do it if you don't have the cable. There's still stuff that broadcast gets that doesn't go on other sources. But Roku has Netflix, as you mentioned, so you get a lot of movie choices. Not everything, but a lot, enough so that you're, you know, frankly, never bored. I don't I don't ever, you know, I may not be able to find that movie. I might have to get it as a disc, but, but I, there's plenty of stuff to watch there. They also have Hulu, which means you get access to a lot of network television. Uh, they also have Amazon, which means you can rent or buy movies and television shows through Amazon. They have their own Roku News Channel, 
which basically rebroadcasts podcasts. So you can get, the, for instance, the nightly news from your local, from your network later, not live, but, a f- but, you know, half an hour later. So you don't lose out on that. It's live news, live events, the Super Bowl. You're not going to be able to watch in a Roku. It's things like that. But go to a neighbor's house. Okay. All right. It's- and, and by the way, <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't forget. Let's, it's funny. We do forget. There is this thing called over the air television. So, so you probably, I don't know, I don't know if you're out of, you know, the area where you could get channel two, four, five, and seven. Yeah, I am. But if you, ah, see, that's the problem. So if you're in a rural area, it's hard. If you're in an area where you're close enough to the cities that you can get channels, then you don't have to even worry. You get the over the air stuff. That's free. Then you'll get those big events. And then the Roku supplements everything else. Okay. And uh, just a quick idea for the thing you're telling us about the, uh, um, passwords with them want the government wanting to be able to access passwords. Yeah, isn't that nice? Uh, uh, they should be uh, forced to get a separate subpoena for passwords. Uh, I think that's a good idea. Yeah, so you get a subpoena, you get a ser- effectively what is a search warrant for data. It doesn't include the password unless you go to the judge and say, and oh, by the way, judge, we need the password too. Exactly. I agree. I don't. If there's judicial oversight, I'm okay. You know, it's interesting. I've talked about this before, but there are these things called pen registers, which are not considered content to get content. If they want to read your emails, for instance, they do have to get a court order. They have to get a traditional wiretap subpoena. There's only a few thousand of those issued every year in the U.S. because it's so hard to get. You have to convince a judge you can't go on a fishing expedition. You have to say this is what we're looking for. There's a lot of rules. These pen registers, they don't need a judge. These pen registers they go after because they say it's not content. But you know what they can get? They can get who you're sending email to and from. They can get your location from your mobile carrier. They can get continuous location updates. They can find out exactly where you are. That's not considered content. In fact, it's a profit center for the mobile phone companies. They have portals, web-based portals for law enforcement where they can go and pay a couple of bucks and find out exactly where you are right now. That's not content, so we don't need a court order. Mm. I like the idea. You know, if you have to get a court order, at least there's some oversight. At least you've got a judge who's looking at this, who's protecting your rights. I think that's good. I think I, I, that's, that's what this country was founded on, is, uh, you know, is a division of power. Uh, you know, it, that makes a big difference. You have the courts, you have the, 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 the presidency, you have Congress, and they all should be looking at each other going, I don't trust you. What are you up to? Hey, I, do, I, t- I got real quickly, I want to mention Carbonite because I really think it's important to talk about backup. We talk about it every Sunday. This is a number one subject on my mind. If you're using a computer and you're not backing it up, whoa, you're going to lose data. You're going to lose data. The thing about Carbonite is it backs up automatically in the behind the scenes over the Internet where your stuff is completely safe. Even if the worst happens, fire, flood, or somebody comes in, breaks in, and steals everything, you still have your data. In fact, you can get to that data anytime. You don't have to wait for a disaster. You log into your Carbonite account on any computer, on your iPhone, your BlackBerry, your Android, and there's your stuff. It's cloud storage, too. And at $55 a year for all the data on your computer, that's a good deal. Try it free right now for two weeks. Carbonite.com. Use the offer code LEO. After you try it, if you decide to buy 12 months, $55, use my name, Leo. You'll get 14 months for the price of 12. Carbonite. You got to back it up to get it back. So do it right. 
with Carbonite. We're going to go to Upland, California next. Ethan, then Bill in Los Angeles. Stay tuned. Lots more to come. Leo Laporte, I am the tech guy. Good day to you. Leo Laporte here, the tech guy. Time to talk about computers, the internet, cell phones, camcorders, MP3 players, all that stuff, all the doodads that uh, are changing our lives. One more hour to go of the show. Right after the show, I will uh, take off for Las Vegas for the NAB show. The National Association of Broadcasters, they have their big yearly convention. About 90,000 people converge on Vegas. To see the latest stuff in broadcasting. And, you know, I've, I've been in the past, and I am, of course, I mean, here I am being a traditional broadcaster, so I guess uh, I have one foot in that world. But I am most interested, as a tech guy, I'm most interested in non-traditional broadcasts, the new media, the ability that anybody has, thanks to uh, to do a TV show, thanks to sites like Ustream.tv, to do a, a podcast on iTunes or anywhere, uh, thanks to the, you know, computers and simple recording software and, and accessible, inexpensive microphones to create a, uh, a novel or a nonfiction book online using a blog, even to sell it, print it using uh, sites like lulu.com and amazon.com. It's really a transfer. I think it's a transformational time. I'm so excited by it because we all get a chance to have a voice. It's not just the few who can make a deal with the moneyed powers, the moneyed interests that own record companies, movie companies, television stations. It doesn't. It, it's changing. And one of the things that I'm excited about, I, I, you know, I worked for years in radio and TV. Had to go hat in hand to get into the business. To us, I picked the smallest, dumpiest station I could find <laughs> in Monterey, California. I said this station is small enough. I might be able to talk my way onto the air there. And I, and it took me a long time, and I did. I got that overnight show on Sunday morning, midnight to five a.m. But that, but I got in the business, and I had to beg and plead and, and wheedle. And nowadays, if any kid wants to do it, they just do it. Now, you might say, but Leo, you were on a real radio station. I had many listen. No. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sad fact, is that uh, I, you probably have more listeners doing a podcast than you do on the small little, this small little dumpy station I started on. So... You know, and now others are going to say, but Leo, yeah, okay, everybody can make it, but that now it you know can create something, but doesn't mean that it's it's any good. Didn't that didn't those gatekeepers somehow improve the content? Well, I guess that's true. Uh, I mean, you had to be decent to get on a big radio station or a big TV station. You couldn't just. Well, I of course now I'm thinking about some of the people who are on radio and TV these days. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's not completely true. But think about this. If you can just start when you're 12 years old doing a podcast, by the time you're 18, you've had six years of experience under your belt. You, you can get good faster. And if there 
are more things online, it stands to reason there'll be more great things online. If some percentage of everything is good, and some percentage of everything good is great, and you increase the number of things on there, it stands to reason there'll be more good and great stuff out there. And I think we're seeing that. And it's different. This is the thing that scares record companies, TV uh, stations and radio stations. It's not necessarily the same stuff they're doing. Look at YouTube. What's big on YouTube? Rebecca Black Friday Friday? (laughs) You wouldn't see that anywhere. You'd never see that anywhere in the old days. Some of you are saying, well, yeah, is that so bad? Yeah, I think it is. I think the idea that everybody gets a chance is important. So that's our theme for the day. So I'm going to the National Association of Broadcasters, the bastion of people who say, we know how to do this and you amateurs stay away, except that they see the times changing too. I've been invited there as the official streaming broadcast partner. Isn't that interesting? The NAB asked us to go down there and cover it for four days. I'm, I'm sure they've got ABC or NBC or somebody down there as the official broadcast partner, but we're the official internet broadcast partner. And that just shows, that I think, a growing awareness among all these companies that times aren't changing. Look at CNN with their iReport. All of the companies are saying, well, how can we, how can we get in on this? And sometimes they're taking uh, routes that perhaps aren't going to work. You know, it's very difficult if you're an existing business to change your business model entirely. I know I'm a businessman. I understand. You build a business around a model, a way of making money. And if that model doesn't work or starts to change radically, it's hard for you to change. That's why frequently older companies wither away and new companies emerge. Why Yahoo's dying, Google's on the way up. Because the old way didn't work. I see companies like the New York Times. New York Times is smart. I got to say, they're very smart. I've worked with them. I like them. I like their reporters. I think we need newspapers uh, to do the fundamental reporting that sometimes bloggers are not able to or willing to do. Uh, But I think they made a terrible misstep. They put up a paywall at great expense, by the way. They put up a paywall a couple of weeks ago and It's very complicated, but the basic rules are you get to see 20 articles from the New York Times free every month. Maybe more if you go through various partner sites. But at some point, it's not always clear when, but at some point, the New York Times is going to put up a sign that says, sorry, you've seen enough of our articles for free. Now you have to pay. And a lot. It's it's not cheap. It's not pennies. It's dollars. Now, I understand they're trying to preserve their business model, right? They base their revenues on two things, advertising and subscriptions. And they're losing money on both, aren't they? So they're trying to stay alive in the Internet age. But I got bad news for them. That's not the way to do it. You can't keep the old business model and expect to survive. People presented with that, sorry, you can't see any more articles in the New York Times, pay us. What are they going to do? Pay? No. They're going to say, fine, I'm on the Internet now. I can go somewhere else. Bye-bye. See you later. And I suspect you're going to see a dramatic drop in readership for the New York Times. That's not what they want, but that's what you're going to see. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll find out. We'll find out. 8888-ASK-LEO, the number Ethan in 
Upland, California. Thanks for hanging on. You're next. I'm Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hi, Ethan. Hi, how's it going? Fantastic. What can I do for you? Well, I have a MacBook that I bought in 2007, and last night I was streaming a Netflix show, and all of a sudden the screen turned off on me, and, oh. but the sound was still going. So I had closed the computers to try and get it to restart, and it still wasn't working, so I, turned the, I hard reset the computer, the laptop, and when I turned yeah. it back on, it's been stuck on this gray screen with a pinwheel oh. ever since. Okay. So something bad happened. Uh, you know, Microsoft Silverlight is a technology that Netflix uses. And if you had not had problems subsequently, I would have said, oh, just download the new version of Silverlight. Probably that got damaged. But in fact, I don't think that's what happened. Either there are two possibilities. Either your hard drive is having trouble or the more dramatic possibility is that you've got actually a failure on the motherboard, an actual computer failure. That's less likely. Solid state stuff doesn't die very much. Stuff with moving parts dies a lot more. Uh, so if your hard drive's dead, what you're going to have to do is uh, replace it. Now, depending on which MacBook you have, sometimes it's easy, sometimes that's hard. Do you have a removable battery on your MacBook? Yes, I do. Oh, good news. Most of the time with the removable battery MacBooks, you just open it up, take out the battery, and you'll see that you can take out the hard drive and put in a new one. If you want to recover what's on your existing hard drive, you're going to want to get something that will mount it in a desktop computer and then you can run recovery tools on it it's very possible that just a small you know this happened to my son his iMac died uh, now unfortunately the iMac isn't really user serviceable so I had to take it to the Apple store they put in a new drive but I was careful I said please when you take out the old drive save it for me I'd like the old part I was able to take that old drive put it in a docking station that allowed me to connect it via SATA to a PC all the data was still there. I was able to recover it. Luckily, it was just the operating system that had been damaged. If you're lucky, Ethan, that's all you've lost. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. The Tech Guy. Interesting conversation in the chat room, by the way. If you uh, haven't been to our chat room, you can get to it by going to the website, uh, techguylabs.com, and there's a link right there. I was talking about the fact that I brought my son's iMac to the Apple store because a hard drive died and I couldn't take it out. You know, there's no user serviceable parts in an iMac except the memory. Um, So I paid them with a premium. I think it was 300 bucks for a 500 gig hard drive, which is of course, twice what it should cost or more. Actually, three times what it should cost. That's fine. It's Apple. That's fine. Um, but I said, I want the old drive back in case I can recover any data. And they gave it to me. Now, I'm talking with the chat room, and they said, well, that's not always the case. I thought it was the law. Maybe it's a state law in California, but I thought it was the law. If you go to an auto repair shop and they say, your Framets needs to be replaced, uh, it's, it's dead, that they give you the old Framets if you want it so you can verify that, in fact, it was broken. Seems to me it's exactly the same in a computer store. If they say, oh, I'm sorry, that motherboard has to be replaced. You should be able to get the motherboard and see where the scorch marks are. So that you know it did have to be replaced. So I, I wanted the old hard drive because I knew I could, once I got it out of the Mac, run some file recovery stuff, spin right or whatever on it. 
and I, in fact, was able to recover all the data. So that, you know, that's certainly something you should try to do. The chat room says if it's a warranted repair, they need the old drive to send it back to the manufacturer to get credit, but they will let you inspect it. Gee, I don't know what I'm going to find out by inspecting a hard drive. Yeah, it looks broken to me. <laughs> but uh, that's interesting. I don't know. What is the rule? Maybe somebody who's a, an Apple genius can explain it to me. I would, I would, I would want the drive back. If I could, because then you can run recovery uh, routines on it. I don't care about maybe the motherboard. Maybe I guess if you, if they said, "Look, the motherboard's dead," and they replaced it at great cost, I guess you might want to say, "Well, can I see the old one just to see?" And if you took it home you, and you had a, I don't know, a voltmeter, you perhaps could tell it was broken. I don't know. Eighty-eight, eighty-eight. Ask Leo Paul, Daily City, California, listening on the Great KGO in San Francisco. Hey, Paul. Hey, Leo. Great. To Welcome. Thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. Thanks for calling. Um, uh, my wife uh, and I have been fans since ZDTV. <laughs> wow, that's really going back, back to nineteen ninety-nine. And uh, I just wanted to. Um, Thank you for reminding people um, that over-the-air TV digital works, and you and Scott uh, uh, telling people that, yeah, the HD does look better over-the-air than cable and satellite. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, it's over-the-air hard, uh, hard drive. Over-the-air high-def is absolutely the best deal in television, best deal in HD out there. It's, it's better quality than the compressed high-def you get on satellite or cable. Well, um I've been a, a broadcast engineer since 1969. And oh, well, you know then. Yeah, exactly. But you do an amazing show. My wife's an IT professional, and we listen all the time. Uh, the quest is that when you go to NAB, please uh, cover what's going on with the new uh, digital mobile handheld standard and the deployment of it. I oh, wait, 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 slow down, because I'm going to write this down, because I don't know what you're talking about, so I'm going to make a note of this. The digital mobile handheld standard, what what standard are you talking about? Well, you know how when they put up digital TV, uh, digital TV just doesn't work when you're in motion at all. Right. <laughs> it, it doesn't Got work it. in some re regular reception. It can be. But now, now people, I know there are people uh, with RVs who have uh, special satellite tracking stuff so that they can keep the direct TV satellite pointed at the, uh, or dish pointed at the satellite. That's digital. Doesn't that work? Um, it does, but but what I'm talking about is something that is lower resolution, but intended to go on a handheld uh, platform, either a smartphone or my preference would be when the iPod Touch, when they do the same thing to the iPod Touch for television that they did to the Nano for FM. You know how a couple of years ago they started including an FM tuner in uh, in in the Nano for people that wanted to hear what's going on right now. Right. Because the ATSC, in their infinite wisdom, and they've been slow about this, but they had a, uh, have a standard, a robust standard. And there's only one station that's been experimenting with it in the Bay Area, but they've had extensive tests in Washington, D.C. And it's about to get rolled out all over the country where um, you have a receiver, whether it's dedicated or it's built into, say, a smartphone or an iPod Touch, and um, you can roam freely with it, and it never breaks up. It looks great uh, on on the small wow. 
So you're saying we could watch broadcast on our smartphones? Exactly. A free, over-the-air, and, and in motion, whether it's in the car or something in your hand. Now, we saw something at CES a year ago called Flow TV. In fact, they bought Super Bowl ads. Remember they had those great ads where, you know, the guy was with his wife and had to shop because he couldn't watch the Super Bowl on his handheld device? And then I just went to the Flow TV website, and it says the Flow TV service has been discontinued. Well, that was a pay service, and it didn't take off, and it just it didn't make it. But this is now. I remember the story on this one, wasn't it? That they bought uh, UHF frequencies in a lot, a discontinued UHF frequencies in a lot of markets that they were broadcasting. Exactly, they made a deal with the FCC, and they bought the same channel in every market. Was the way they did it. Crazy and. Uh, <laughs> It was this encrypted, and you had to, you had to, you know, like I say, it was a pay service. But is this the same idea? It's kind of the same idea, except that it is free, first of all. And second, there's going to be, uh, the station can choose to have one or more than one uh, mobile handheld stream. And uh, so cool. I had no idea that this standard even existed. So if I'm Channel 5 in San Francisco, if I'm, if, well, let's, let's use Channel 7, KGO. In San Francisco, uh, and I have a transmitter. I'm broadcasting to television sets. Is it a different frequency? What do I need to do to make a mobile version of my broadcasts? Well, actually, what it is is just another stream. In other words, if you take, um, for instance, is it internet based? I mean, am I using bandwidth? Internet bandwidth? Over no. the air now. Over it's over the air broadcast. Wow. Is streams actually? It's what we've got today. Is is uh, you pick up one big digital master stream, and it can be divided up into substreams. Um, I happen to work for the most watched public station in the country, and we put out three streams, a high-definition and two standard-definition streams on our transmitter. Um, are, you, are you talking about KQED? Yeah, KQED, right. And just, in San Francisco. So how would I wa- how could I watch that on my uh, smartphone? Well, this is the thing, is it is the... Uh, the uh, right now, there are uh, TV set manufacturers that are going to be incorporating it in small mobile TVs. Okay. Talking to uh, the f- smartphone people, of course, about integrating it, and I just hope they're talking to Apple because, like I say, it would be so great if they put it into the iPod Touch, like they put the Not FM kidding. receiver in the Nano. And uh, uh, it's the station can choose to take some of their bandwidth. And uh, and dedicate it to this mobile handheld stream, and uh, with these receivers that are coming out, um, like I say, there it's a very smart standard too. Because, for instance, well, Paul, Paul, you've given me a mission. We're going to NAB tonight, and I will hang on because I want to talk more about it. But I will cover this for you.
This portion of the Tech Eye Show is brought to you by my internet service provider, DSL Extreme for high speed internet at an amazing price. Call 866 the number two, get net to get DSL Extreme. Leo Laporte, the Tech Guy. We've been talking with Paul, who's a broadcast engineer in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area, works for the great public TV station and radio station KQED in uh, San Francisco, and he's giving me a mission. And I'm glad you called because I had no, I had no idea this was existed. A, a standard for digital mobile television. Uh, in other words, of course, you could carry around a little TV, right, Paul? I mean, I could carry around a little battery-powered TV and receive standard broadcast. What makes this different? It's the robustness of the stream. It's got uh, it's it, it sacrificed resolution because you don't need 1080i on a five-inch screen in your hand, you know, and uh, um, and it took those extra bits and it makes redundancy and uh, ah. such that the the signal becomes very robust and you don't suffer the problems. I mean, now, right now, you could go to Radio Shack and you can buy a little uh, ATSC, the standard for digital television, over-the-air receiver, and as long as you're sitting in one place, it works pretty nice usually but if you pick it up and try to walk around the room with it it just drops out and pixelates and you lose it and right it's the standard streams that we put on the transmitter are are not a robust stream but this- there is a, a company called hapog it makes a lot of video products they have a product called win tv arrow which it looks like picks up i don't know if it's standard atsc or no it's the atsc mh is that it Mo- mobile digital mobile handheld And when you go to NAB, last year they had a pavilion there, and I think they had the bus driving around. They've had a a demonstration where you go out and ride around uh, Las Vegas in this bus and watch over-the-air television via the mobile handheld, and it's this demonstration of how it doesn't drop out, and it works very well. And uh, the interesting thing, too, for us is that, as you may know, we uh, now uh, control KTEH in San Jose and KQET in Salinas Monterey. For instance, we could put the mobile handheld stream on all three stations. We could put the content to be the same on all three stations. And the the standard is smart enough that it will find the same content even on a different channel because we're channel 30 over the air in San Francisco and 50 over the air in San Jose and 25 over the air in Salinas Monterey. But it somehow will figure that out, and you could start in Marin watching something and drive all the way this Monterey and carry it unbroken uh, in your car or if you're riding in a bus or on a train. I think the key, Paul, is going to be to get these, though, on mobile phones, on smartphones, because nobody wants to carry a phone and a TV in their pocket. Exactly. Exactly. Or an iPod. Or a touch. Yeah. So it's an RF receiver we'd need to have. So it wouldn't be a simple modification. You'd have to add an RF chip to the, right. the phone. Very similar to them putting the FM tuner in the in the iPod Nano. Right. right. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, Paul. We're going to NAB. I'm leaving right after the show uh, this evening. And um, our coverage begins 9 a.m. We're covering at 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Pacific, uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then a little bit of Thursday. And I promise you, we will. I will seek out the digital mobile pavilion, and uh, maybe I'll go for a ride in the bus because we have a mobile camera. We're using a 3G 
connectivity with a product called LiveView to shoot mobily. So we'll see if we can go for a ride and show uh, broadcast television mobile. Uh, that sounds really intriguing. I'm so glad you called. Yes, uh, have fun there. I wish I was going this year. We're under the austerity program, but so yeah. <laughs> last year, but I can't. They didn't send us this year, but uh, maybe next year. But uh, do have have a great time. Look it up. You might go to a couple of transmitter manufacturers booths and see their take on it, Harris or Thompson or those type of booths too, because they'll be showing it and letting you walk around the convention floor watching over the air. Cool. Yeah. Well, I will definitely look into it. I love I love that. I hadn't even it wasn't on my radar, so to speak. So I will look for it. I didn't think so. Have a good time. I I, I we're abject fans of yours and have been forever and so I really would like to get your take on it and what you're seeing. Good. Come up and visit us at the studio too, Paul. We'd love to. I'd love to meet you in person. See the Twit College before you move. We're <laughs> last chance. Last chance. Yeah, I, I don't know when we're moving, but it's a couple of the next couple of months. So we'll head on up. Yeah, we'll get it worked out. Thanks, Paul. Great to talk to you. Yeah, my sister uh, coordinates visits to the uh, cottage. Right now, it's a you know it's a fairly small studio. We have room maybe for four or five visitors. We almost always have visitors. It's kind of fun. In fact, I have two people in studio from. Uh, uh, the Calif- Northern California right now from Auburn and from San Francisco visiting. But let me say hello to Peter, who is, I could, I could show them on camera. Peter Clark, he's a student at the Academy of Art uh, in Web Design and Media. And uh, Jesse Johnson from Auburn, who's visiting and uh, has a very nice car. <laughs> the new Ford Mustang has a sweet ride. I like his license, too. It's Vader's Pony because it's black. Scary, except for the pink uh, car seats in the back. Other than that, scary. <laughs> uh, so when you, uh, if you did want to come by, Dan, uh, just email my sister Eva, eva at twit tv. She coordinates just to make sure that we don't have a hundred people showing up at once. And uh, yeah, it's probably. I think we're going to be moving by the mid June into uh, the new ten thousand square foot studio. It'll. And somebody said, "Oh, Leo, I hope it doesn't get professional." No, don't worry. It's going to be just as junky as always. Tom in Westfield, New York. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Oh, hi, Leo. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. What can I do for you? Uh, well, I had a question about Android phones. I've been out of contract with AT&T for a while. I plan on sticking with them. Um, I, I could uh, with me, but I was looking at Android. Um, but if I was going to go Android, I'd want to go with as open an Android headset, uh, handset as I Right, could. right. Yeah, I, I, you know, Android's an interesting story because it is open source, despite what all the uh, anti-open source or anti-Google advocates are saying these days. It is, in fact, open source. Uh, and, uh, in fact, it's uh, managed by the Open Mobile Alliance. Uh, Google has kind of uh considerable con, you know sway with it and in fact it, until they release the new version open source you won't be able to get it but you can get every version up through gingerbread get the source code so that means anybody for free you don't have to pay a license fee can use this to build a device that's why there's so many android tablets i see android on all sorts of things uh because it's linux and, the, and you know it's open source and it's easy to install and you don't have to pay anybody for it and you get a lot of functionality but when, when most handset manufacturers put it on a phone, HTC, uh, Samsung, uh, LG, the companies you know uh, that put them on the phone, Motorola, they modify it and they put their own little stamp on top of it. And in most cases, it's not an improvement. 
So Motorola puts blur on it. I hate blur. Unfortunately, Motorola makes some of the best Android phones, but I hate blur. HTC has their own little sugar they put on top of it. It's not so bad. I, I like HTC the best of the three, um, and uh, uh, so does Samsung. But you can get what Google calls the true Android experience if you get a Google handset. And that right now, there are only a few. There's I use the Google Nexus One, which they released some time ago on T-Mobile. They've updated that on T-Mobile with a Samsung Nexus S. Nice phone. Both of those are very nice phones. And there is now a 4G phone on Sprint that is also a true Google experience. That means no additional carrier junkola. There might be some applications, but no modification to the operating system. So I, are, do, you, do you care about T-Mobile versus Sprint? Um, I'm... Are you AT and T? Aren't you? I'm I'm AT and T, and I don't plan on leaving them anytime soon. Uh, I'm like I'm like many folks. I'm I'm actually quite happy with their service. Where I well, you know, Android and AT and T is pretty good. I'll have a recommendation for you when we get back. Leo Laporte, the tech guy. The Tech Guy. 8888 Ask Leo, just a few minutes left in the show. I've been talking to Tom. He wants to get an Android phone on AT&T. I'm chatting with the chat room about their recommendations, and they tell me, and this would be a great choice, that the HTC Inspire, which is a 4G phone, and a big screen one at that, 4.3-inch WVGA screen, is 8 megapixel camera, 20 bucks at Costco with an AT&T, uh, you know, obviously with an AT&T contract. That's subsidized, but still, that's great. Now, here's the deal. Tom, you said you wanted a pure Google. And this will have HTC's kind of uh, user interface on top of it. I actually like HTC's uh, user interface, but you can always take an Android phone and root it and put generic ROMs on it and get it not only to the latest version of Android, this comes with Froyo, but you want gingerbread, but but also um, when you do that, uh, you'll be able to remove any carrier and handset manufacturer modifications. You'll be able to go back to the plain vanilla Android. A good s- source for information about this is XD Developers. This is where all the ROMs and all the information about rooting your phone uh, lives it's xda i'm sorry xda-developers.com so if you search for the inspire at xdadevelopers.com they'll tell you how you have to modify it so and it's easy to do because android's open source rooting it is trivial always it's unlike the iphone where you have to actually get around apple's restrictions okay tom no it looks interesting that's something i'll check in on nice looking phone i have to say i like and i personally like a 4.3 inch screen the big question mark on Android phones in general at this point is battery life. Uh, you know, and it's the same problem on all smartphones because they have big, bright screens and you're using them more than you're not just making phone calls. You're using them all the time. And so it tends to run out before you've got, you know, through the day. Uh, iPhone 
is a pre- has pretty good battery life, but even better, there are a number of cases that have additional batteries for the iPhone. Android phone, you'll have to use an external charger or uh, some sort of a way to charge it up if it can't make it through the day. I don't know what the battery life on the Inspire is. I don't think it's particularly good. And whenever you have a big screen like that, it generally uh, means it won't have great battery life. That's the big. I think that's the big negative on all smartphones, but it seems particularly problematic on uh, on the Android phones. But I, I am an Android fan. I love it. Bill, Los Angeles, Leo Laporte, the tech guy. Hey, Bill. Oh, Welcome. I, what can I do for you? Uh, you're on. Okay, yeah, I didn't hear you come on there. Sorry. Um, I've got an older laptop I bought a couple of years ago, and the other day I was working with it, and all of a sudden it locked up. I got a blue screen. What I could see, it said something about a kernel something. Now when I turn it on, it goes immediately to the, we're sorry, Windows had a problem, and I've tried the best-known configuration. Uh, safe mode. Safe. Probably what happened is your hard drive died. I mean, it could be something more serious, but 99 times out of 100, when this happens, it just means that it may be not even the whole drive. I mean, it can mean the hard drive itself died, but it can also just mean there's some bad uh, sectors on the drive, particularly where the Windows kernel or critical Windows system files lived. And after that, the system isn't going to be able to boot up. How do you fix it? Well, the easiest way, now it's a laptop, so it just, this, this will vary depending on the manufacturer. But the easiest way is take out the old hard drive, put a new one in. Uh, and if you take the old hard drive, you can probably bring it into a shop and have them run some data recovery tools on it. Spin right, the first thing I do, that would, that would find bad sectors, move data off the bad sectors. Often that's sufficient to not only recover your data, but to recover the drive entirely. The only negative on spin right is ninety bucks, which is about what a new drive would cost. So it's really uh, it makes sense for shops or anybody who has to work on a lot of drives. But almost certainly, Bill, that's what's gone on. It's an older laptop. The hard drive died. They die, and that's exactly the symptom you get. It wouldn't boot. Wouldn't be able to boot. You'd get a kernel panic or some sort of error message when you try to boot. Doesn't mean anything more serious necessarily. I mean, of course, it could be the motherboard died or something, but most likely it's a hard. Uh, coming up in just a second, Tim in Azusa. He wants to know whether he should wait for the new iPhone. And uh, we're going to have that answer in just a minute. But first, a reminder. You got to back up, right? And if you're going to do it right, say it with me. Use Carbonite. Carbonite Online Backup. I'm very proud to say that the, the word has gone forth from this radio show. People now know about Carbonite. I hear about it all the time. It's online backup. It's automatic, so you don't have to remember it. And your data is safe in the cloud, up in the Internet, where you can get to it any time, even before disaster strikes, just by logging into your Carbonite account. They have free smartphone apps, Mac or PC. It's completely cross-platform. I, we just got an email from Patricia Oglesby who said uh, they, their, their uh, system got clobbered by a virus. The tech guy had to wipe the drive. And she had been using ba- a Carbonite online backup. She says, I take the... New drive home, plug it in, push restore on the Carbonite website, and boom! It just kept going, and it was all there. It was all in the right place. Carbonite just did all that, and I didn't have to think about it. Carbonite, easy to use, reliable backup. Try it free for two weeks right now. Go to C-A-R-B-O-N-I-T-E dot com. Use the offer code Leo. Two weeks. Absolutely free. You don't even need a credit card if you decide to buy. Use my name, Leo, again. You'll get two additional months on the 12-month subscription. Just $55 a year. For 14 months. Carbonite. It's backup done right. You got to back it up to get it back. So back it up with Carbonite. Uh, let's say hello to Tim, who is calling from Azusa, California. Hi, Tim. Hi, Leo. How are you today? 
very, very well. Ben, You're looking for a new phone, I take it. Oh, yes. I've been fed up with Blackberries, and I've got a Palm Pre that Plus that uh, I'm not happy with. But uh, yeah. uh, I switched to Apple computers, and I've been dying to have an iPhone, but AT&T never worked for me. And uh, so now I'm, I knew every two is up, and I, I don't know if I want to get stuck with a, an iPhone 4 for two years if I'm... <laughs> well, you're right. Now, when will the new iPhone come out? No one knows. Traditionally, iPhones come out in June. It's the first iPhone came out June 2007, 2008, the 3G, the 2009, the 3GS, the 2010, the iPhone 4, 2011. No. I think all the experts agree because we, we just haven't heard any news about it. There's been no rumors, no drumbeat. Apple, I think this year is going to wait. How long are they going to wait? Maybe till September, maybe longer. I don't know. I do think that they will uh, offer an iPhone 5 in the fall, but not before then. But again, I should always, same disclaimer with Apple, they don't tell me. They don't tell anybody. Anything anybody says about Apple is complete conjecture. We won't know till Apple tells us. And, and I don't use a lot of apps. The uh, couple apps I want are related to ham radio, and they're not available okay. for the pre. So <laughs> that's kind of one of the reasons uh, uh, that I want to get rid of this and uh, get into either an iPhone or I mean, a Droid. But I, I don't know if the Droid X or Droid 2 is too far, too old technology to even consider at this point. Uh, and, I, and I do like to get a longer battery life. Yeah. Uh, you know, the iPhone is great. I have an iPhone, uh, but I am an Android fan. If you like to, to mess around with it, if you want more capability, if you want to be able to dictate, for instance, to the phone, if you want to be able to put widgets on the desktop instead of just uh, application icons, Android is great. Uh, it does suffer because there's so many choices. <laughs> you wouldn't think choice would be a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, but that's, it makes it more confusing. Let's put it that way. Uh, the good news is if you don't like the current crop of Android phones, wait a month. There's always new ones. Um, AT&T has a pretty good choice of Android phones. Um, Are you at AT&T or Verizon? (laughs) Verizon, their service, their customer service, I'm not happy with, but their their network I'm very happy with. So so you're talking about Verizon. Okay. Um, Verizon has, I would wait, if if you're going to think about an Android phone, the Droid Bionic will be out on Verizon in the next month or so. That will be the state-of-the-art in Android phones. We don't know what the battery's life is like because it's a dual processor, but it will certainly be fast. The Thunderbolt, which is the current top-of-the-line Android model, is also very nice, but it's a single processor. If you could wait, I'd, if you were thinking of waiting for Android, I'd wait and see what the Bionic offers. But you know what? A Verizon iPhone 4, that's a pretty nice pretty nice deal. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's my dilemma. Because usually when I buy something uh, three weeks later, it comes out with the other one. I'm stuck with the cheer. Well, I'm the king. I'm the king of that. <laughs> I've been I've to... for an iPhone for so long, and yeah. and I I just really wanted to bite the bullet and, and get it. So it's uh, but uh, I think it's... well, I think it's a problem because uh, even if you only release a phone once a year, which is what Apple has been doing, it's still too soon for the two year deal, right? Um, maybe Apple will be moving to every other year. You know, that's something to think about. Then then customers can make a rational choice every other year where they get a new iPhone when their contract expires. I wouldn't be surprised to see Apple say, yeah, we're not going to release an iPhone 5 till June uh, 2012. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, the, the, I think the only reason that might speed it up is because of all the droids that are coming out. They've got so much competition on the Android market. So They're starting to feel that. You could tell when Steve Jobs announced the iPad 2, uh, you could tell he was feeling Android breathe, hot breath down his neck. He 
He, he definitely was worried about that. Hey, it's great to talk to you, Tim. Great to talk to all of you. Thanks to Luis Oliveira on the board and Gina Salvati answering the phones. Thanks to you for being here. I'll see you next week. Leo Laporte, the tech guy.